hey there um it's claire here creator of the museum of the missing um i just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who has listened and supported the podcast over the last few weeks you know, we recently hit 1000 downloads which yeah you know, i think is a pretty good milestone especially for a one woman band like this i do want to do something to mark the occasion so you know watch this space it may not be completely museum based you know maybe a short story reading or something along those lines but we'll see in the meantime, thank you again for listening and please feel free to follow, like and share wherever you listen to podcasts to get this strange little project onto other people's radars. And with that in mind, do you know what a thylacine is? Okay, hi, it, it's me, Kay. <laughs> yeah, like you don't already know that by now. <sighs> anyway, welcome back, I suppose. Obviously, I've decided to keep working on this, at least for the moment, although I do still wonder if that's a good idea. Last week, for some reason, it hit harder than I thought it had. I realised just as I released the episode that I'd promised to do a summary of the email and then totally forgot. But the thought of recording all of that, oh, I just couldn't face it. So in case you need it, an anonymous listener sent in an email outlining how their mother always insisted that she'd had a baby on the 29th of February 1988, but that it had been stolen from her. Everyone treated her as if she was mentally unstable. But now the listener is wondering if, well, well if she if it did happen to her and now either everyone else can't remember or she Mandela affected herself into a timeline which kind of throws up all kinds of paradoxes like what happened to the original version of her did she just disappear or did the alternative version overlay her consciousness or something I'm not even sure I want to think about the implications of that could it be that people from our timeline have also gone missing, only to be replaced by people jumping from the other timeline? This is just so so out there, so hard to fathom. Every time I go back to those boxes, I find something new. Something that complicates everything, to the point where I'm beginning to wonder, is something feeding me this stuff? And if they are, to what end? It's like... I received that email and I, I don't know, something was activated. Like it flipped the weird shit switch and rather than becoming clearer, everything is just getting muddier. On that note, the same shit as other episodes applies. You know, go back and listen from the beginning if you're joining us for the first time. Like, please, because it's getting even more complicated and I just don't have the spoons left to answer questions about what the fuck is going on. Sorry. Right. 
an admission of sorts. Shortly after I started all of this, I decided to actually rent the lock up. I found all this stuff for myself. I didn't say anything earlier because I didn't think it was important. I mean, it's just a convenient place to store it all, as I just don't have the room at home. But as some of you have asked, if I've thought about looking into who owned the stuff before me, I thought it was time to, I know, come clean. Which I know sounds way more dramatic than it is, but here we are. Anyway, yes, I have, and I can't find anything. Because of course I can't. That would be far too easy. The guy who leased out the garage gave me a name, but given the contents of it were auctioned off because that person hadn't paid their storage rent, means they've either moved, or died, or whatever. What I'm trying to say is, if they're still around, I don't think they want to be found. Or at least they can't be found because all of this has caught up with them. Which is not a very nice thought, if I'm honest. I thought about sharing their name, but have decided against it simply because it's a pretty common name and I don't want anyone to be harassed over it. The ones I did find, I contacted mainly via social media, but none of them had any clue as to what I was on about. And a few called me a creep for sliding into their socials to ask them weird questions about mysterious lockups. So, you know, that was fun. And given the way all of this seems to be going, even if I did find the right person, I don't think they'd admit it probably because they don't want anything to do with all of this anymore. I mean, it's not like I can blame them. Oh, I'm sorry, I know I'm being vague, but it's not deliberate. I'm starting to wonder if... No, it's, it's no, forget that. It's even more... Yeah, no, no, scratch that. As you can probably tell, this week has been a bit of a challenge. I almost posted this early, given what I found, but I'm glad I didn't. I'm also equally amazed that I'm managing to deliver this on time and I'm pretty sure you'll understand why soon enough. Because all of this just got potentially a hell of a lot bigger. Yo, like, huge. So, like I said, I've been renting the lockup for myself over the last few weeks. The guy who owns it wanted it cleared out and I don't have time to do that, nor the space at home to take everything back with me, so I offered to take it over completely. He seemed kind of surprised by that. It is just a grotty little garage after all. But after asking if I'd found anything of monetary value and me laughing, he quickly took up my offer. This has meant that I've been keeping the vast bulk of the stuff in there, mainly to stop people from asking awkward questions, like, why do you have piles of ancient newspapers all over your house? But also because it means I'm not drowning in this stuff day and night, you know? I have to physically go there and get the stuff to work on and that separation of home and all of this is just so important. Then there's the simple fact that I can't record anything in the lockup. Any voice notes I try to make end up corrupted or a a staticky mess. Completely incomprehensible. So when I'm there, I mostly spend my time sorting the stuff out into rough themes. And I think it's important to say that there are more boxes than I initially thought there were. I, I literally cannot get over how much crap there is here. God only knows how the previous owner managed to salvage them. But that's another conundrum for another day. And anyway, once I got enough of one theme, I, I take that and write notes on them. And then I take the notes home and write them up. Which is why each episode has been kind of themed. It's sort of like thinking out loud, you know? Not quite stream of consciousness, but along those lines. 
This does mean that there are things I've talked about before, like the sound and the nature of time and, and water and whatever, and at some point I'll probably need to go through that stuff again, but from different angles, because the more I find out, the more complicated it gets, and I realise I've missed stuff out, and it's overwhelming. You know when you were a kid and you thought that Alice in Wonderland or Labyrinth or something like that might be fun? Spoiler alert, it really isn't. I look around at myself, my family, my whole life, and I find myself wondering how much of it is really real and how much of it is just my limited perspective of reality. And does it really matter? This kind of philosophical bullshit is fun when it's hypothetical. You know, you're a student drinking vodka and sharing a joint, but when it comes crashing into your life like this, turning everything upside down, what I think I'm trying to say is that I'm pretty much convinced. I've always tried to hold on to my scepticism because that's where sanity lies, but this week has finally made me face some uncomfortable truths. Like I said, when I go through this stuff, I try to sort it into vague themes. So I have my letters box, my sound research box, my I'm not clever enough to completely understand this box, and my this looks horrifically official box. And more recently, I've added one that I've been labelling my this just doesn't sound right box. I haven't really talked about this box yet. At first, because I wasn't focusing mainly on the museum stuff, but also because it bothers me. In many ways, if I'm totally honest, it bothers me more than the stuff that's directly linked to the event, because at a casual glance, it all seems so normal. But it isn't. At first, when I went through the newspaper articles, I was only looking at the headlines and stuff around the event. I wasn't looking at anything else because I didn't think it was relevant, and that it, that it would just muddy the waters, so to speak. When I was still working under the theory that this was all just someone's personal project, it didn't feel important. If it had been all ipsum lorum nonsense, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid, put it down to someone making props for whatever this was intended to be. But then I started to actually read some of the more mundane articles, like current affairs and stuff like that. And that's when I noticed there are differences between what these newspapers are saying happened and what actually happened. Which, again, could just be someone really immersed in an AU project of some kind, right? I mean, people do this kind of thing all the time. They have this passion project and they just work on it tirelessly. It's the thing that gives their life meaning. And if they're not hurting anyone, then all power to your elbow. We all do what we have to do to get through the day, yeah? But I can't lie, it still bothered me. So I started to put some of these discrepant articles to one side. The initial one that made me do it was odd. I mean, of course, they're all odd, but this one stuck. There was all this political stuff with names I vaguely remember from my childhood, but I couldn't remember exactly why they were in the news at the time, so I didn't really pay attention. It, it was the late 80s, so there was a, lots of sleaze and potential corruption, you know, not much different from today, really. But I just couldn't remember who had done what, and yeah, you, you get what I mean, right? I was a kid back then. I didn't care. I think I knew who the Prime Minister was, and that was it back then. So when I first looked at this stuff, I thought recognising the names was enough. I wasn't going to start fact-checking them just to make sure they were completely accurate, or at least what's accurate for here. It was 
only after I found the odd article that I realised things didn't quite stack up and I did some more in-depth research. That's when I realised that a lot of these stories don't line up with what actually occurred. Or at least they don't line up with our history. They're almost like a a what-if situation. Ironically, the article that caught my attention was a puff piece about the thylacine. Now, I think I'm pretty safe in assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have a good idea what a thylacine is, or was, given they were declared extinct in the 1930s. But as my granny says, never assume knowledge. So, the thylacine was also known as the Tasmanian tiger, and it was a marsupial carnivore, so not related to cats at all, native to mainland Australia and the islands of Tasmania. The last wild specimen was shot in 1930 by a farmer called Wilf Batty because they were seen as pests for predating on sheep, which, rather sadly, probably wasn't even true, with most sheep actually being hunted by feral dogs, but you know that's by the by. The last captive thylacine died of neglect in a Tasmanian zoo on the 7th of September 1936, which is about as tragic as it gets. Obviously, ever since the last one died, there have been stories of people seeing them out in the wild, but they have officially been declared extinct, and any sightings are put under the umbrella of cryptozoology, or humans yet again making shit up for attention, which, sadly, is probably more likely. And yes, I know, don't at me, okay, hypocrite and all that. Yeah, I get it, just bear with me. So now we all know what a thylacine is and what happened to it, I think we can all agree that an article dated the 16th of November 1990 with the headline Cincinnati Zoo Joy as two new thylacine joeys join the pack is not right. The article reads thusly. Cincinnati Zoo recently made public the successful rearing of two new thylacine joeys named Paul and Hogan, which, as an aside, are bloody awful names, but anyway, bringing new hope to the thylacine conservation programme, which was founded in 1936 after the rare marsupial was thought totally extinct in the wild. Following years of dedicated research, Dr Samuel Graysmith, who was at the time the world expert on Tasmanian tigers, discovered a pocket of surviving specimens in the remote section of the Freysenet National Park in 1952. Captive breeding programmes proved largely fruitless for a long time, and it was feared that despite efforts to preserve the species, it would die out anyway. However, in recent years, the programme has had far more success, with more joeys surviving than perishing. The arrival of Paul and Hogan brings the world population of captive thylacines up to 64, with some already being released back into the wild on Tasmania to help bolster other surviving populations discovered in 1973 and 1986. Dr Graysmith, now 86, has expressed his joy at the revival of this rare and beautiful creature. They should never have been hunted in the first place, but I am so glad that we have managed to preserve such a beautiful creature. And there's a picture of three thylacines sunbathing in an enclosure. Which isn't right, because thylacines are extinct. They certainly aren't lounging around in American zoos. All of this makes me think back to last week and to the Mandela effect. How we've jumped tracks, or however else you want to put it, jumped from one reality to the other. But if that was the case, the people who went missing would still be missing, 
which then leads me to think that maybe we didn't jump at all, that maybe we are in our right timeline, and it only affected a small number of people, including whoever gathered this stuff together, along with maybe that woman from last week's episode. Which, if you think about it, actually kind of makes more sense. Rather than the entire world forgetting, maybe it never happened here, and the people who do remember it, whether that's one or two or however many, they're the ones who switched. Now, why that happened to them and no one else, I I can't even begin to imagine. As I mentioned earlier, it has some potential nasty implications for the original versions of those people, which includes the person who gathered the stuff together. How did they manage to bring it with them? I can almost buy a person jumping realities, but having the foresight to bring all of this with you? I can't see how that works. I mean, even if it was possible, how did they know to gather it all together? Unless there was a warning, some kind of sign that most people ignored. But that's not the only thing that's making me question everything. When I first went into the lockup, there were loads of boxes. I initially found three and then quickly found another two, which meant five of them ended up having stuff related to the Museum of the Missing. Everything was all kind of jumbled together. And as you know, I thought that was because it was a forgotten art project. But now I'm thinking whoever did it collected it in a haste and just shoved it in any old how. Which, again, poses the question, how did they know? The thing is, and I am very much thinking out loud here, so I'm sorry if it's a bit messy. The person who emailed last week said that I've been focusing on the event of the 29th of February 1988 and how that could be a bit of a misdirection. How I shouldn't be looking at the inciting event, but rather how it all ended. I spent a lot of time thinking about that this week, and I think they're right. Because the event itself was the beginning, and if we are going with the theory that someone, somehow, brought all of this with them when they jumped realities, and yeah, I I know, I never thought I'd be saying something like that out loud either, but here we are. Then when did that occur and why? What did they find out that made them think this was something they would have to do? And why would they do it? Why drag all of this over with them? It's not as if it happened here. All of this stuff is useless. Interesting, maybe, and definitely intriguing, but ultimately pointless. Now, I'm going to apologise in advance. If you're a physicist or someone who understands all this stuff, you're going to start yelling at me in a bit. Um, If not that, then maybe a nice eye roll is more for your taste. But uh, all joking aside, I am qualifying all of this with the fact that I don't really understand the nuts and bolts of any of this. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am not a scientist. I am a curious layperson in way over her head. I'm trying to understand these concepts and relate them as well as I can, but I'm not an expert. Funny how in the movies, things like this just happen to land in the right laps. I.e. not some university was nearly 20 years ago, wage slave rapidly approaching middle-aged mother's lap. No, in the movies, it would be, I don't know, Paul Rudd and Angelina Jolie in some lab somewhere. No one believes them, but only they can prevent the end of the world by cracking the Mandela Effect code. (laughs) Yeah, I'll stop being silly, but you all know what I mean. I am not the ideal person for this, but whether you like it or not, hell, whether I like it or not, this has come to me and I am doing my level best. So, with that in mind, we're back to the time thing. Now, we've already covered how time is both huge and small, 
And as with everything, it's a lot more complicated than we generally assume. On a day-to-day basis, time is a clock face telling us when we should do things. It's an easy way to portion down the day. Nothing more. But time with a capital T is a lot more than that. It isn't just the span of time, the minutes, the hours, days, years that we experience. It is also a dimension in its own right. Now, again... I am not going to claim that I totally understand how this works, but I have tried. And I also did find out that some scientists don't see time as a dimension, but rather as a motion, as it flows in one direction from past to future. I may be contradicting that in a bit, but bear with me. I'm I'm just trying to cover all bases, right? And I'm really, really sorry if this comes across as trying to teach your granny to suck eggs. But if you're anything like me, a refresher is not going to do you any harm, right? Remember, we don't assume knowledge here, mainly because I don't know, but that's our mantra from now on. So basically, we have three dimensions, length, height and width. Those are the dimensions that we interact with all the time. We are embodied by those dimensions. It is the world or reality that we live in. We don't even think about it. We just take it for granted that it's there and it works. I mean, could you imagine if one of them stopped working? All of a sudden, length doesn't work. It's ridiculous. And a bit nightmarish. But anyway, back to time. So time, as you all probably already know, is considered the fourth dimension. The fifth dimension is allegedly the Tesseract, which I thought was a Marvel thing, or, or something off that movie with Matthew McConaughey. But, you know, you learn something new every day, or you don't, because you don't really understand it. And it isn't really all that relevant at the moment, so we won't talk about that unless we're forced to. But time, time is another matter. Pun not intended, I think. Time as a dimension is simply how we describe the position of objects in space. And that's not, that's any space, not just capital letter space. The way we perceive it is very simple. The past, the present, the future, all in a straight line, no going back. The past has gone, the present is now, and the future is going to happen. What we tend to forget, or we can't always wrap our heads around, is that these three states are also all technically in the same place. Every single fraction of a second is the past, the present, and the future, almost simultaneously. What we think of as the present isn't really. The present doesn't really exist because it's so fleeting. So we're already building sandcastles on shifting sands. There have been loads of theoretical studies on the nature of time as a dimension in its own right, and that stuff is so far above my pay grade it's not even funny. But there has also been lots of talk around breaking the speed of light and time travel, and how time itself may not be the simple straight line as that we perceive it is. The easiest way I can think of it, it's like Dr Manhattan and the Watchmen, you know, that series by Alan Moore. Dr Manhattan lives in all points of time. He can remember the future. He can live in different aspects of his time because for him, time isn't a line, it's a place. It's kind of mind-blowing if you really think about it. Just because we perceive time as a straight line doesn't mean that it is. Of course, people have done some very hard sums on all of this to create theories about it all. And Einstein himself rather famously said, people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. In other words, 
time is an illusion. Or at least the way we experience it is. That reality itself is technically timeless. We can't have space without time because without time we don't have a place. Okay, this is all very interesting, but what has this got to do with the museum, I hear you cry. And dear listener, if I knew the answer to that, then I'd probably be Queen of the World. But as I'm not Queen of the World, yeah. Everything about this is connected in some way to time. The dates, the leap years, the birthdays, all to do with time. And due to that, like I said, I focused on what I thought was the important date, the 29th of February 1988. But the event that caused people to switch realities, that didn't happen on that date. And we know this because we have four years worth of newspapers and other paperwork discussing this event. The actual date we should be thinking about is the 29th of February 1992. Because there's nothing after that. Absolutely nothing. That is the jump day. That is the day the streams were finally crossed. That's why I can't record anything. Why phones glitch and photos are blurry. This stuff, I don't think it's meant to be here. It's an artefact from another timeline, or whatever you want to call it, time blamange or big nebulous blob of existence. The people who jumped over, they're not meant to be here either. That's why the mother of the person from last week struggled so much. And I think it's also why I can't find the person who rented this lockup before me. Like I said earlier, I don't know what happened to them, and I don't think I ever will. But whoever or wherever they are, they vanished fairly recently. So what have they been up to for the last 20 years? The guy who actually owns the lockup has only been renting it out for eight years, which leads to even more questions. One, how did they know how to gather all the museum stuff together? Two, how did they achieve it? It's not like it was something they happened to be carrying around with them when they jumped timelines. Three, why did they do it? Why did they bring all this stuff from another reality? This didn't happen here. Why bring it with them? What's the point? Four, even if they rented the lockup from day one, that was only eight years ago, what did they do with all this stuff before that? And if they had it somewhere else for, what, 12-ish years? Why move it into a dingy old garage? Why keep it at all? And five. Why me? If all of this has happened for a reason, why has it come to me? What do I have to do with all of this? Coincidence and chaos theory aside, why has it randomly fallen into my lap? Why wasn't it all filed away in a university archive somewhere? Because that's what I'd do. If something catastrophic happened in this reality and I had a way of escaping it and taking my evidence with me, you better believe I'm looking for a boffin the first chance I get. But then I started thinking about Dr Manhattan again, about how he experiences time all at once. As I've said before, there are theories that time isn't linear. There is only now. What if... What if all this stuff happened in our past, but it's their present or something or time looped back is this why I keep finding new stuff what if the person who collected all of this stuff is both here and in the past still collecting it and whatever happened in 1992 kind of screwed up time beyond all measure 
smooth skin to an ugly twisted scar. You know, it really struck me this week that there may not be a satisfactory end to all of this. That this mystery may just keep stretching on and on and on. That there's no real way of understanding it. It's it's just too beyond us. Hell, maybe it was God. Who knows? In a way, it's kind of a great honour to be probably the only person in the world to catch a legitimate glimpse of another version of reality. I know people claim these things all the time, but they're usually labelled as mentally unstable. Does this make me mentally unstable? I sometimes... I sometimes feel like things are kind of coming apart, you know? That this is too much. It's too big. But I can't go anywhere else. Because if I do, it's definitely psych ward time for me. Because no one is going to believe me. Maybe that's how I know I'm not going mad. Because I know that others will see this as a delusion. That I am delusional. And that's not a nice thought. That's why I need you guys. I know we don't know each other, not really. And I'm just some random mad woman speaking to you through the magic of the internet. But thanks, all the same. Just by listening, you are helping I don't know what I'm going to do now. I think I'm in possession of evidence that other realities exist. And that's not something I ever thought I'd say out loud. Museum of the Missing is written, performed and produced by Claire Waller. The title song, Museum of the Missing, was written by David Rizal and is performed by David Rizal and Claire Rizal. It is used with permission. If you're enjoying the story, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact details and social media links are in the show notes. If you wish, you may also buy the podcast a coffee at Museum of the Missing. Thank you for listening. About time has gone astray Is the horror of the age